Welcome to Song Surgery, where we dissect hit records with the songwriters who composed them and the singers and musicians who performed on them. I'm Sid Holmes. Let's get started. A hit record can surprise even the songwriter. In this case, Monty Moyer, former keyboardist of the time. I didn't think he was going to be here. It's got like tablas on it. But unusual instruments combined with longing lyrics and a rich vocal, in this case from Alexander O'Neill, created romantic music alchemy. This is If You Were Here Tonight. Let's get into Monty Moyer. All right. Original keyboardist for the time. Songwriter, producer, Janet Jackson, pleasure principal. Gladys Knight. Deja. thinking about if you were here tonight and Deja just popped in my head and I looked that up and you wrote that too yeah yeah, yeah. Kurt Jones we were, we're lifelong friends we had a great time making that record a quick bio of where you were from where you grew up grew up in south Minneapolis um just kind of a normal upbringing started playing guitar early on and then started playing piano and then started playing guitar went back to piano played in a few various bands around town got in into uh flight time at some point i guess i was right out of high school and the nucleus of flight time became the time and we went from there when did you discover that you could write songs or did you always want to be a songwriter i think i always wanted to write songs i used to look in the music books that my mom and dad had and because they were musical and i would look at who wrote it because back then it was music by lyrics by and, you know, the kind of the pop songs of the day, I was always interested in who wrote them. And I think the first song I wrote was in probably seventh grade. It was horrible, I'm sure. But I just liked to do it. I just I thought, man, I should I want to try to do this. because, And you just start trying and go from there. And how many songs have you written? Oh, man, uh, well, it's got to be well over 100, I would imagine. I've never stopped to think about it because, you know, you have so many songs that you've written and that have been released on major label stuff. And you've had stuff I've done for more indie people and then stuff that just never has gotten released <laughs> or you don't finish it or you go, eh, that's not so great, but I'm sure it's well over a hundred. What was the first song that you wrote that was a hit? First thing out was probably when you're far away by Gladys Knight. I don't think it was a top 10 hit, but it was maybe top 40 on the R and B charts right around the time that you were working with Alexander. Yeah, because I was working with Flight Time for a while. And actually, Terry Lewis and I wrote it. I, I didn't get credit. I might have credit at this point on one of the later releases, but it got credited to Jam and Lewis. But I had a track and Terry said, yeah, we're working with, we might have a chance because Leon Silvers was pre- producing the record. And if you got something, let me know. And so I sent him a track and Terry put some lyrics on it and got it to Leon and he liked it and ended up on the record. How did you meet Alexander O'Neill? 
I met him first when we were in flight time. When I first got in the band, Cynthia Johnson was singing, who was uh, fame singing Funky Town. And Funky Town had just come out. And so she was kind of on the tail end of being in the band. And then uh, Alex came in the band after that. So we were playing locally all over, just doing covers and a couple of originals. And so I've known him since I was 20 years old, probably. So did you like his vocals? How would you describe his voice? Oh, I, I, phenomenal. I mean, he had one of those, has one of those classic voices. To me, it was like a Sam Cooke kind of, you know, old school, just got it. One of those guys. He could roll out of bed and sound like he sounded back in the day. Just phenomenal voice. He was the original lead singer for the time. Yeah, he short-lived, but he had sang, I think there was a, track of him on get it up he i think he sang that originally and he but then it got kind of weird because he was wanting a bunch of money and da, da 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 we had a meeting one time with prince and uh morris and terry and me and alex and i think uh yeah he just kind of wanted money right away and prince was kind of not having it <laughs> he's like we don't have any money <laughs> no record there's no record deal there's nothing we're just trying to get this going you know and at that point he told Morris, he said, well, you, you want, you're going to sing now. And he says, I don't know. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> what, what am I going to do? You know? And he said, well, figure it out. And, you know, and he figured it out. I'll tell you that. So Alexander left the group. Did you stay in touch with him? Yeah, I suppose I did. Um, not terribly in touch, but I'd probably see him around and stuff. We went off and toured with Prince in the time for a couple of years. And, and then Flight Time was working with taboo records clarence avant ran that and there was actually another uh singer had got signed that was going to do some of the songs alex did and that just didn't work out do we know who that singer is uh, i won't say but <laughs> <laughs> good guy really good guy just didn't work out for whatever did it, reason. did it eventually work out for that singer uh not to my knowledge not not at that level anyway okay did you find out that Alex was doing a, a solo album first or did somebody come seek you out and say Alex is doing a solo album? No, it was kind of the thing where the deal didn't work out with the singer and Clarence was talking to me and her and Terry and Jimmy and just said, well, who, you know, you got a singer in mind? And we said, Alex, sign Alex. He's the, he's the one. We're like, trust us. <laughs> this, this cat can sing. And he signed him and we went from there. So you wrote three songs that were included on the album. Yeah. Okay. When you wrote Look at Us Now and Do You Wanna Like I Do, did you have a certain singer in mind? No, I just left the time. It was right before Purple Rain, and I think I'd gone to one rehearsal, and I that's a whole other story. I just, just didn't want to do it anymore. And, and I went home, and I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, back in the day, we had four track recorders. We didn't have what we had these days, you know, a little reel to reel four track. And I just 
I didn't know what I was going to do. I just went home and I was going to write songs and I just wrote a bunch of songs. What is your job as the producer of the record? From Alex's standpoint, it's just from a, a producer to a singer standpoint, to me, it's just trying to coax the best possible performance out of them you can. Sometimes it takes, you got to be a little bit of a psychiatrist. You got to be a little, you just got to make them feel comfortable, safe, and just really guide them through it at some level. And musically, just trying to make it sound like a record. You start putting parts on as a producer and things you like, and you just play around with things. And then you get to a point where it's getting there and you just try to decide, well, does this sound like a record yet? When an artist is signed and you've got a team that is going to write for him or were the songs already written? I know one, at least one of mine was Look At Us Now. Look at us now. And do you want to like I do? That was the other one, I, second of the three I did on the record. I think that was mostly written. I don't think If You Were Here Tonight was, or it wasn't finished anyway. And I don't suspect the stuff Terry and Jimmy were doing was finished. They might have had some things in mind, I would gather. How does the process work? You've got these songs. They've been recorded. Okay. Who determined what order they were going to be and on which side? Clarence did and uh, Terry and Jimmy did. Okay. They would, have, they would have assembled. I mean, I was probably in there at some level, but I think at one point they decided one side should be ballads. I think that's how it ended up, if I remember. It's decided that the first single would be Innocent, right? Right. Were you aware? How did you find out that the first single was going to be Innocent? I think Terry told me. And I said, really? That's going to be the first one? And he said, well, you know, the best song on the record doesn't necessarily have to be the first single. We're just trying to get, get them out there. And that's that was his words, not mine. Okay. We recorded the record, and I think the record sat for about nine months. And I can't remember what the reasonings were now. I think maybe they just didn't have the marketing in place and other things going on. So it took a while to get it released. So. Mm -hmm. That was a good song. Got to um, number 11 on the chart. How was it decided that If You Were Here Tonight was going to be the second single? I don't think it was originally intended to be the second single. And apparently people in the... Uh, taboo office and you know the secretaries and it just started getting some buzz and people were just saying this should be the single and then people are saying well you can't this can't go to r&b it's got like tablas on it who has tablas these indian drums a guy named marcus wise actually played it tablas he actually studied in india and had them all laid out our engineer, Steve Weiss, he's the one who suggested putting tablas on it. So I got to give credit to him. But, you know, there was some pushback. But at the end of the day, they released it. It had just started getting a buzz at some level and they decided to go with it. How could anybody think that this would be anything but a hit record? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't think it was going to be a hit. Jam and Lewis are different. They can write a song and they go, oh, it's a smash. That's a smash. And that's that's kind of their mindset and they've obviously proved that over and over again my whole philosophy i think it, to me i'm just trying to write a good song and if, if it's a good song if it speaks to somebody and it, it can do something because once you 
release it once you let go of it it's in the hands of marketing and the labels and the publicists and it's kind of out of your hands so there's there's not a whole lot you can do as a songwriter after it's it's kind of like a friend of mine had an analogy it was just once the ball really leaves the pitcher's hand it's kind of out of your control whether you're going to strike some strike the dude out or he's going to hit a home run off you so i kind of gotcha in terms of the lyrics what were you thinking of when you composed this um some songs are definitely about somebody in particular but i think most of the stuff i do is it's kind of a combination of different people or maybe somebody i know who went through a rough situation or a longing situation so it, it wasn't it's personal but it's it's wasn't necessarily thinking about a, a certain person but it was just really tapping into that feeling of what does it feel like when this happens to you now that doesn't always happen because you can think you know you have some kind of vague idea in your head when you're writing it and you might be playing the chords over and over and, and trying to figure out lyrics and stuff usually i do music first and then then i start writing lyrics and then i trying to go what am i writing about what's this what am i talking about here and then usually a title comes last a lot of times for me and a lot of people do it differently because they'll do a title and here's the concept and here's this and then they fill in the blanks and for me i guess it, I, i'm a little backwards sometimes but it works seems to work better for me the music came first yeah yeah just kind of chord changes and what the feel might be or the rhythm. You know, we had drum machines and start a drum machine beat and play some chords and yeah, coming along but, and then figure out a figure yeah, out. But, but but like you said, it doesn't sound like a regular R and B pop record. Is that what was going on in your head? I I just kind of was going with something. Does this feel Does this feel good to me? Does it Does it feel like a song? Does it feel like the chain should go there and this should go there? And I just yeah okay that feels pretty good. Okay that now that doesn't work. This works. That doesn't work. I wasn't thinking about here. I'm going to write an R and B song. I just was trying to write a song that felt good to me because it originally wasn't necessarily for Alex. I don't think when I started, I was just trying to write some good songs. I'm going to read a description of if you were here tonight a haunting ballad with an unorthodox arrangement from the pen of monty moyer that for many represents alexander o'neill's finest moment floating on a rhythmic bed buoyed by guitarist o nicholas rath and marcus wise's contributions on indian tabla drum and something called a bayon is there really a bayon yeah, and I think it, Marcus had something to do with it. I don't actually, to be honest with you, remember exactly what it is, but he brought in some crazy stuff, and there must be one. Is, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, so is it a real instrument or um, an electronic instrument? Because I tried to Google it, and I can't find it. Well, maybe you're right. I, I honestly don't know, to be okay. honest. I, unless it's some little percussive thing. That's all I'm thinking of, because he brought in all these weird things and i'll have to get back to you on that one all right well let's talk about the mechanics of the song it's a ballad but it immediately comes out the gate it doesn't have the ordinary buildup that you hear on a ballad it just immediately launches in was that what you envisioned yeah i guess so i you know i just kind of went with what felt right and the way it started felt right to me, I guess. The sound was really unique. It doesn't sound like anything you ever heard on the radio. If you were to 
put it in a genre. How would you describe that song? Oh, I don't know exactly. It's, I mean, I always thought of it as just more of a popish type song, but it, but it does have the Eastern kind of thing with the tablas and the guitar is a little different. But you throw Alex's voice on it, and then I think somebody said that to me. You throw Alex on it, and it's an R&B song. And it, like I don't know, is it? I played it for Jimmy Jam before we recorded it. And I said, I'm thinking about putting some, you know, real bass on because I just had a synth bass playing long notes through the whole thing. And I said, well, I'm thinking about putting some like a, you know, real bass with some pops. And he's like, no, 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 you're not. No, we're, I don't like that idea. <laughs> I'm like, really? He's like, no, leave it just the way it is. I'm like, okay. So we did. What tracks were laid down first, guitar or synthesizer or anything done in tandem at the same time? They were all separate because I recorded everything, but the guitar I didn't play, obviously, and the doubles I didn't play, but it was really a drum machine. And I suspect I probably put the bass on first and then put the chords on and, and, and the pads and started building it up from there. And once I got the basic structure of the song with drums, bass, chord, pad, then we added the guitar and the tablas and whatever else went on top. What is playing those three notes that repeat? It's an Oberheim synthesizer. Just about every sound you heard on the Time Records and Prince Records back in that era were done on an Oberheim synthesizer. And they had different versions through the years. OB8 was their last version. You know, like the cool bass sound and all that stuff on the time. That's all OV8 sounds. And then the strings were, were almost always the Arp and Omni. It's an old string synthesizer, basically. So it was that keyboard that did the da-da-da with possibly another bell-type sound, which was probably done on the OV8, too. How did you create the song? On a keyboard first? Yeah, I was really just trying to get the chord changes and, and start a melody and the feel of the song. So while you are assembling this and thinking this, it wasn't all done in one day, but are you feeling something taking shape here as each individual instrument is playing and you're listening? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, back then you had to rent time and book so many hours a day. That was kind of the way things were going back then. But yeah, I, you get the basic thing there and I probably sang a little uh, rough track to it. And then you just to give the other musicians an idea what the melody is and where things are going and when the guitar got on yeah you just go wow what about that guitar because that doesn't sound like um Glenn Campbell it's a nylon guitar acoustic guitar and a guy named O Nicholas Rath played it it's very single note you know kind of floating throughout the song and it's he did a great job it's just kind of helped rhythmically and harmonically and he's a great player he ended up playing on a lot of flight time songs down the road i think some janet stuff too is that the guitar sound that was in your head when you were writing out and thinking up this music yeah eventually it was yeah you know stevie wonder talks about i got the whole song in my head and he does he's just one of them guys and once in a while you get that but usually for me it's like i have a vague idea as i'm writing it you're doing the chords and the melody and trying to figure out what the lyrics are and as you're doing that you go oh you know a guitar would be neat on here this would be cool but for me, it's more once I kind of finish the chords and the lyrics, and then I start thinking more in depth about production. Like, okay, how do we make this sound like a record now that 
it seems like we got a song going here. And that's probably maybe where I got to thinking, okay, guitar would fill in because the chords just are holding chords. It's pretty simple and straight ahead, but it needs something else, you know, a different timber and different something to give a little different pulse to it. And then beyond that, you start putting the little bells and whistles and little ear candy, some people call it, that just gives it a little more sheen or a little more finished quality to it. So what are the chord changes? Can you sing the song where the different chords come in? And don't say you can't sing because I've listened to you, CD. You got a nice, soft voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, so don't even well, try. Okay. You ain't getting out of this, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to sing through where the changes are? Yes, please. As the night moves in, that would be the F minor. As the night moves in, when you hit in, it would be the G over the E flat major. Then uh, love takes on new meaning. That would be the C sharp major seven to the E flat sus. And then it just repeats, really. The chords just cycle through until the B section. Can't you understand it? That's the F minor seven to, can't you understand it? And then to a B flat minor seven. Girl, you know how much I care. Goes B flat minor seven to C flat or to C minor seven. Not the way I planned it. That's F minor again. And then uh, if you could only know my feelings, C sharp major seven to E flat sus sustain, they call it. You would know how much I do believe. And then you're back to the F minor seven and that cycles through just like the verse did. And then, then uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> it's fairly straight ahead as far as chords it's kind of a modal thing because the chords are kind of all in the same key of f minor and it's especially with these guys who can play like this and like i say i hadn't thought of tablas and my friend steve weiss had, the engineer had suggested it and sure let's try it and, and that was just like a whole nother level to me were the tablas added last they were probably close to last yeah and then the vocals yeah, vocals were definitely the last. Before we get to Alexander, talk about the background voices, because if there's music in heaven, that's what the background sounds like. Mm. Those voices, absolutely angelic. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that was, it was sung by Lucia Newell and Tammy Day. Tammy was my ex-wife. She was my wife at the time, and who was a, a cousin to Morris. So technically, oddly enough, for a while, I, I was actually Morris's uncle, which is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I tried that on him one day. He didn't find it too humorous, but it was pretty funny. The background voices have a mystical quality to them. How do you get that? Was that natural or is that something that you have to manipulate? It was natural, and I, I think most of the backgrounds were in unison. No, it was just them singing. We just did it till we got some good takes. Was the music already laid out when you presented the song to Alex? Yeah, I'd, I'd already recorded most of it in the studio, so I guess by the time he heard it, I might have added a couple of things after the vocals got on, but just more incidental things. So he heard most of the fairly finished track just with me singing a reference across it. And what was his reaction? I, I think he liked it. I think he was I think he was just so happy to have a record deal, honestly. And he deserved it. I can't think of his reactions to all the songs, but he seemed to like everything. The only song I remember he questioned really was um, A Broken Heart. 
which Terry and Jimmy did. And only mm-hmm. because I think he loved the song. Terry wanted him to sing it in a falsetto. And he was hesitant because he had never sung much in a falsetto. He liked his, you know, his big, rich voice that he normally did. And he says it at first, but he was really happy once he did it. How many takes did if you were here tonight have? It didn't take him that long. In fact, in fact it usually didn't take him too long to sing anything. For, for him, it was more just learning the song and the phrasing. And he was kind of one of those guys who just liked to come in and sing. You know, he didn't necessarily learn things note for note at home and come in and do it because he just wanted to come in and have the, the right feeling, you know. and and everybody's different that way. Some of it was just guiding him through like, well, okay, here's the melody. And he, of course, he did his own thing, right? He's way beyond. He had to put his stamp on it. You know, all those Alex licks, they're all there. And we usually just did a verse at a time or you do a little section at a time. And at least back then, that's how we were all doing it. And then he was doing the ad libs at the end and he was doing a bunch of them. And they all sound kind of cool. And Jimmy came in, and I credit Jimmy with this, because I think I'd asked him, I said, we're doing such, you know, cool ad-libs here, but, you know, I got, like, two tracks of them, but I'm thinking of how to get it down to one, and he says, why don't you just pan them, have them both going, and I thought, perfect, so we kept both of them at the very end when he's doing this kind of ooh-ah stuff, I can't even duplicate that. But. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking the first time you heard everything assembled musically? Did you like it? I just kept liking, I don't know if I had conscious thoughts of it, but it, but there's some songs you write and after you, you get them together and you play them, you go, oh, it's okay. But yeah, I loved it. I thought Alex just killed it. And, you know, he brought it to a whole different level and, and he made the song his, if you ask me, and just with that vocal and, you know, he's got such a powerful voice and yeah, it was just, it was, I was happy with it once we got done. So it turned out the way you had envisioned it when you first thought it up? Yeah, it actually does. It really did. You know, you have an idea and it's, it was, yeah. And I think exceeded because I didn't, when I first was thinking of it, writing it, I was just writing a song, but then you have somebody like Alex come in and sing it. And it's like, wow, I wouldn't have expected that, you know, in, in the beginning, because it wasn't necessarily written for Alex, as I recall, but then he comes in and puts that voice on it. And it's like, wow, okay, that's a whole nother level there. But there's, you can get kind of sick of it at some point, or you you just kind of don't feel like hearing it as much, you know, and it doesn't mean it's a bad song, but this song, I will say, it just felt like whenever I'd hear it, I just felt good, you know? <laughs> I just felt like, yeah, I want to hear that again. Yeah, what else can we add to that? And it just, you know, you hear a thing a, a, a zillion times as you're putting stuff together, but... You know, you put your finger on it. This is a song you can never, ever get tired of hearing. Oh, thank you. But I, I had that experience and I just felt like, well, you know, if it feels good to you and the lyrics feel good to you and it's moving to you, to me, I should say, you hope somebody else will feel the same way. Because that, to me, that's, that's the essence of writing. You know, there's party songs, there's sad songs, there's love songs, but all has their place, you know, but, and this was more of a longing type of song. And if I feel emotional about it, you hope, you hope that transfers to other people. And I think most musicians feel that way. Whether it's just a straight up groove and it's whatever it is, you just, you're feeling it at some level and you hope it transfers to other people. And if enough people feel that way, I guess you got a hit on your hands. So 
And you said you didn't think it would be a hit. You remember the first time you heard it on the radio? I do. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> as any, as anybody will tell you who's heard their song on the radio, it's, it's, it's kind of humbling. It's awesome. It's, you just, it's like, wow, man, this is on the radio. I've always kind of been that way with songs. Even with the Janet song, The Pleasure Principle, I, I liked it a lot, but uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily go, oh, that's a single, that's going to be a hit. So were you surprised at the reception by the public? Yeah, I think I was, because I wasn't expecting it, I guess. And then in, in London, it did really well. It's still being played a lot over there in England. And so I guess over the years, it's gratifying because after... 30 years are still playing it on the radio and you know at some level and i think that's a songwriter's goal is to have something that sticks around for a while you know you write a song one thing a million guys are writing songs but to actually get it through the machinery of the record labels and the radio stations i just try to write a good song and somebody else to decide what it is so if i'm feeling good about it and i'm throwing it out there that's all I can do, you know, and from there, the other things take over. <laughs> it's amazing there are hits because just because, you know, there's bot hits, of course, and then there's those organic hits that just are undeniable, even if they're not necessarily a number one song. And I think it's just amazing when songs can get to that level because there's so much stuff it has to go through to reach mass audiences. And then it's the first dance song at a lot of weddings. Is it? Yes, it is. You know, I've had <laughs> I've had two people come up to me and play, said they, they had played that song at their wedding. I thought, wow, that's really interesting because it's not like a straight song of yearning, you know. You're hoping somebody was going to be there. And But it's so beautiful. It, it's one where you, you don't even think of the words. You just think of the, like you said, the way it makes you feel and the sound. It just, it's just such a beautiful song. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I'm always amazed to hear that. I guess it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really, it's cool to hear that. And it's been sampled <laughs> quite a bit, but it really got a second life with Rihanna, didn't it? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I don't know, 10 times. It's been, people have done covers of sample. I guess I don't even know how many, but yeah. Once Rihanna took some of the chord changes in that yeah it, it, gee, yeah it went to a whole other stratosphere which talk about un, unexpected man i think it was number one on the pop charts for nine weeks you know there's not many songs that do that it's so yeah it's just like whoa yeah. it's really funny i've been doing these interviews with um writers and it's like they i don't want to say take it for granted and i don't want to say it's not an appreciation but it seems like they don't really understand the depth of how a song actually moves the people who are listening to it. Is it because you wrote the song? What's your favorite song? What song moves you? Oh, man, that's that. I couldn't say a song, but I just like everything. man. I, I... What song makes you cry? Uh, I'll tell you one song that makes me cry. I guess <laughs> I know exactly uh, a song for you. Leon Russell. I've been so many places in my life, and you know that one. And, and it's, mm -hmm. any particular version? Ray Charles just floored me. His version of that. I've been so many places in my life and time. And... I've sung a lot of songs. I've made some bad rhymes. Thank you. 
I cried when I heard that. Whoa. Okay. You know what song makes yeah, me cry? What's that? I don't know how to love them by Yvonne Elephant. Oh. From Jesus yeah. Christ Superstar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. And that's what it's all about, right? Just you know, if, if if that music can move you like that, it's like, man. Do you think that with streaming, the pop charts are more of an accurate reflection of sales than they were back in the day? Because you have hit records that are breaking all of these old records by Elvis and all of the other biggies. Yeah, I don't know. I. That's a tough question because, you know, back in the day, you'd, you'd buy the album and then you'd buy the 45 and those were the sales. And now there's so much more access to sales, you know, with iTunes and just downloads and on your phone and everything else. So I think people have access to these songs probably more than they did because, you know, you had to have a turntable and now you just need a phone. That's a very good point. Well, we're doing this on Prince's birthday. Is there any particular memory you want to uh, talk about when it comes to Prince? Mm. Just what an amazing, I mean, I don't know if, I think people do understand, but when you've been, hang, when you've hung out with him and you've been around him as much as we were back in the day in particular, the, the level of just high excellence this guy had in every category of of his career was just staggering i mean from marketing to songwriting to production to playing to just his ideas about things and his commitment to it it was just it was just never any doubt something wasn't going to work and it's just really inspiring because you know just put everything into what he had and and it's i've never seen another human being like that (laughs) Mm. He's a complicated guy, you know, he could be pretty difficult, but he could also have a big heart. And um, I think it was tough to get to really know him. I think most everybody would say that, even his close friends, even Morris would say that who grew up with him. But he was just just inspiring to be around. Did he influence you at all? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all talked about just to the work ethic he threw at us when we were in the time and rehearsing and six days a week and eight, 10 hours a day or whatever we were doing. And it's just the way he thought about things and the way he approached things, whether it's ideas and songs or production, just, he, you know, anything went, it's just whatever you can think of. If it works, it works. And yeah, just awe-inspiring in a lot of ways, just an amazing human being. <laughs> if you were here tonight, what is the best line in the song? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's for me to say. Oh, that's easy. Is it? Oh, absolutely. Okay, this, what do you got? This bed's too big for me to be in alone. Oh, alone. yeah. People have said that, yeah. You're, oh. you're, you're not the first one to say that. 
1985, if you were here tonight, peaked at number 17 on the Billboard Hot Black Singles Chart, number 13 on the UK Singles Chart, and number 20 on the Irish Singles Chart.
If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to this podcast and check out the Song Surgery Podcast Facebook page for updates and discussion. Until next time.